welcome to the Redeemer Central podcast. Redeemer Central is a church community in Belfast seeking to practice the way of Jesus and work for the peace and good of our city. For more information, please visit RedeemerCentral.com. Uh, so I'm going to jump straight into it this morning, if that's all right. Um, we are in week two of our Advent series, uh, and only two more weeks to go until the big day, uh, although it looks like he may be here a bit early next door. Um, but we all know Advent is this kind of this time of waiting and preparing for the celebration of the birth of Jesus. And traditionally, that is done, we start that four Sundays before. I never knew that for some reason. I don't know why, it just kind of skipped me. So if I'm teaching you how to kind of suck eggs, apologies. But four Sundays before, that was when Advent started. Uh, and that was kind of the start line. That was the marker for us to, to begin getting ready for Christmas. But if you've ever worked in retail or you work in hospitality, you'll know that that marker has well and truly been obliterated. If you go into Tesco this afternoon, you won't find a friendly staff member kind of bobbling along with festive cheer, whistling to Michael Bublé. They'll be pulling their hair out. They'll be running on fumes and cans of Monster and Red Bull. And they will be close to breaking point because for them, their Christmas started in September. September. It's mad. And uh, as much as I like Christmas, if I had three and a half months of, of George Michael or, or Mariah, you can understand why they're not that friendly faced when you go into Tesco. So be nice to them when you go in and do your Christmas shop. But the thing is, um, for me, I always, because I, I do love Christmas and I'm not having a bit of a go here. If you, get in a, if you get festive early, by all means go mad. My rule is after Remembrance Weekend. And I remember this, this Remembrance Weekend just gone, uh, I was speaking at a couple of churches. It's, it's, a, it's a busy time for my work. Uh, and that evening, I, I can't remember where I was. It was dark, it was cold, it was wet. And I remember walking back to my car after speaking at church, um, and I was just a bit, I was like, oh, I'm done. And I got in the car, and straight away I found it, I looked for it, and I found it, and there it was, Heart Christmas. I found the station, and that was me for the 45-minute drive home, singing my heart out, and I got really into, that was me, I was like, it's done, Christmas is here, I'm ready, and it's because I, I do love Christmas. I remember I talked about it last year, I love everything about it, I love the... The lights, the trees, I'd have pigs and blankets, I could eat them by the bowl. I, I could eat them all year, it'd be brilliant. But I love Christmas. But I think sometimes, I mean, even the films, Home Alone 1, Home Alone 2, a quick, quick poll. Home Alone 1? Home Alone 2? Home Alone 3? Get out. I saw the hand. You're all welcome, apart from you. No, uh, I don't know why I asked that. I just wanted to know. It's curiosity. But uh, in the midst of kind of this rush, the excitement, the shopping, the wrapping, and it begins so early now, I think we can kind of accidentally and maybe miss the beginning and the significance of Advent. I'm not going to go into detail of Advent's historical or theological meaning, but instead I'll share a quote which sums up what I mean when I say we can miss the meaning of Advent. And mistakenly, kind of mix it in with the rest of our Christmas eagerness and festive spirit. It simply reads, Advent slows the rush of a chaotic world into a whisper of peace. 
Advent slows the rush of a chaotic world into a whisper of peace. And that's kind of my, my prayer this morning, that as we gather together during this time of Advent, that if we can only just for a short time just pray that, that we can forget everything else, we can close our minds off to the rush of Christmas and everything else that comes with it, and just hear that whisper of pure peace and joy. And we do that and we enjoy as we kind of we prepare for the celebration of the birth of Christ. Is that all right? Are we all on board for that? Good. You can say good, you can reply. I'm not gonna I'm not after amens or anything, but if I ask you a question, you can feel free. That's anyone. <laughs> so this morning, to no surprise, we're gonna be looking at the Nativity story. Uh, and we're gonna look at our wise friends from the east, the Magi, and their journey to worship Jesus. And I want to look at this story this morning because it's a story about searching. It's a story I think we can quite easily skim over and miss the bravery, the boldness, the faith and the devotion that these magi showed in their search for a king. And more importantly, a king who wasn't theirs to be worshipped. So let's read Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. It should come up on the screen there. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Judea, during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities. For a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, these wise men went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So we all know this story, we all know this passage. Um, if you've ever been to a carol service or you've seen a nativity play, maybe you've starred in a nativity or you're going in the weeks, coming weeks, you're going to see your kids in their nativity. We all know this story. Whenever I read these verses, I can't help but kind of smile and have cringe with embarrassment. Um, and I'll share it, it's embarrassing, but I will share it because my, I can't help but think of a time when uh, I was 17 and my, my home church back in Bath, the church I kind of grew up in, they put on the nativity and they did this thing where they saw the adults are going to play the parts and they said, Scott, would you like to be Herod? Yeah. I didn't really want to, but I kind of was, I was involved in the youth work and I said, oh, yeah, I'll do it. It's, it can't be that bad. A couple of lines, an evil laugh, and that'll be it. That wasn't it. Um, when it came to the day... They drew on me the thickest eyebrows and the goatee painted on my face. And I looked like a cross between kind of Jafar 
and a, and, a, and a contestant on RuPaul's Drag Race. <laughs> I was head to toe sequins and glitter, uh, and there is, there is a photo of it somewhere, because I asked Naomi's seen it, she still married me, but she's seen that, but I couldn't track it down, not that I would have showed it. Um, and that was bad, but that again, that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it was, when I signed up for it, I didn't know, they'd made this into a musical. So this was a musical nativity, and Herod had his own solo. I was 17, <laughs> and it is probably the most embarrassing thing I still think I've ever done. And I'm so glad that this was back when I was 18 years ago. And thank God, mobile phones with videos hadn't really come on back then, so there is no video evidence of it. But there I was, singing this very passage as Herod, um, speaking about the, the wise guys. That was the song. I still know the words, but I'm not going to sing it to you. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> but we all have these memories. We all have these things and this, this image of Christmas and the nativity story. We see it in shop windows. We see this kind of this fluffy idea of the nativity scene with the wise men there gathered around, all the little sheep, everything else, all in this nice fluffy image. But I think it's easy when we have that naturally in the back of our mind from childhood to, to miss what's going on, especially in this story, in this journey itself. For a start, if we look at the author Matthew, known for being an evangelist, you'd think he would spend a good amount of time talking about Jesus. But this story is massively lacking detail when he describes Jesus' birth. The biggest thing to ever happen, and he writes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem. That's it. Five words. And as we go through the passage, we see a few other things that kind of stand out a bit as well. Firstly, there is no mention of a stable. In fact, when the Magi actually do get there, they meet Jesus, we read that they came to the house to see him, not a stable, a house. I'm going to say a few other things, and I don't say them to destroy your memories and images of, of your nativity plays. And please don't go into your schools and correct them, or whatever it is you've got this week. We're just going to cover a few little things. So they go to the house, not a stable. And they go to see a child, not a newborn baby, not an infant. Quite a few commentators of this passage highlight that these words, house and child, were used intentionally and not by chance. And it's likely that the Magi arrived sometime after Jesus was born. A part of me feels... When we read this passage, it should have a bit of a disclaimer, you know, like when you watch The Crown or any kind of thing based on a real story, it kind of says it's based on true events, but we add a bit of spice to make it a bit more fun. I feel like this passage should have a disclaimer which kind of reads the opposite, which says everything you know, everything you think you know, it's not quite true. This is the truth of it here. Do you know what I mean? So we have these different things, we have these, these different details, and if we look at the Magi themselves, all it says again is wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. That's the only detail we get. So again, while on that kind of rant of ruining favourite carols and nativity memories, we'll clear up a few more of those myth truths quickly. It doesn't say anything about there being three of them. It's kind of that classic pub quiz kind of question, isn't it? Every Christmas you'll hear it. How many wise men were there? You will also three. Um, it doesn't say that there were three, but we just assume that there were, and I think because of the gifts, there were three gifts, and it makes sense that that's why we assume there's three, and again, it fits into that nice image we have. 
But the truth of it was, we don't know the exact number. It was very likely that there was actually a big gathering or an entourage of men and women joining and surrounding the Magi on their journey. Astrologers were a big deal. So it's likely that it wasn't three fellows on a donkey or a camel. Instead, there was an unknown number of them, but much more than three. And this makes sense because how else would a whole city know of their instant arrival if there was only three people? A city of a million people at the time, three people arrived, a whole city wouldn't be aware. But if you imagine a large gathering, an entourage of people asking the question, where is Jesus? Secondly, we have no idea that they were kings. No mention that at all again, and that's another kind of carol rune for us there. And finally, we don't have their names. I can't even remember them now, but we don't have their names. It wasn't until the 6th century uh, that I think writers started throwing these names into the pot. But it's not there. It's not in this story. So we don't know their names. We don't know how many there were, and we don't know if they were kings. But I want to share with you this morning what we do know about these travellers. I want to share what we know about these Eastern travellers, because there is so much in this story. Like I said, Matthew spends 12 verses sharing their, their journey and only five words on the birth of Jesus. And I think that's intentional. There's a lot we can take from this story. So we've covered the mistruths of the Magi and this story. So now let's look at what we do know about these travellers and some of the other characters that play their part in this story as well. Firstly, the term Magi originates from Persia, just modern day kind of Iran, Iraq, uh, and was a name given to astrologers and then later magicians and sorcerers. Now today when we think of astrology, we normally, well, I normally would, would associate it with a bit of a, a, bit of a nerdy hobby. Um, if there are any avid astrologers, apologies, I'm not having a pop at you, but they, you don't have the same authority that you did back in the ancient world. Does that make sense? Again, sorry there are people love the stars, it's fine. Um, but in the ancient world, the skies were seen as a place to learn of what was happening and what was to come. People looked to the sky in the same way that we now look to Google. It was a place for answers. And these, these astrologers from the east, these magi, had studied hard and were trusted in what they'd learned from looking up. And we see that play out in verse 1 and 2. But I think we can often miss, again, the end of verse 2. The moment that God steps into this story. Here we see an encounter with God which changes everything for these men. Here they were, intelligent, highly regarded, studied astrologers, outsiders, travellers, non-believers, Gentiles. They were seen as a threat by some and mystical by others. They had dedicated their lives to learning the skies and giving counsel to those around who asked for it. But here we see God step in and change everything. Just like where Jesus called his first disciples, these men stopped what they were doing. They left their lives, their families, and everything behind and made this dangerous 900-kilometer journey on foot or by horse or by camel. We're not really sure. It's never that clear. But they made this journey not just to see Jesus, not just to visit, but to worship joyfully this newborn king, a king who wasn't theirs because God spoke to them in their language. And we see from the very beginning of Jesus' birth, his life, his story, we see here, and I think Matthew is really making this point, that Jesus was more than just a king. He was a saviour for everyone. 
Jew, Gentile, outsider, traveler, the lost, the beaten, the lonely. From the very beginning and even before Jesus' birth, it's seen that he is for every one of us. And that's why I believe Matthew spends 12 verses speaking about these outsiders. And only five words on the birth of the Saviour. I feel like somebody's walked past me. Yes. <laughs> I wonder who. <laughs> this idea then of this kind of the, the core message of this story about being the outsider, we see it as well in Matthew's descriptions and writings of some of the other characters in these verses as well. I'm going to skip Herod because of the trauma. I'll either start singing or crying. <laughs> but I'll skip Herod. Uh, but we look that in verse 4, Herod called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? And it's these unknown quantity of religious leaders I want us to look at now. Because in seeing their, their reaction and their inaction of the news of a Messiah being born in Bethlehem speaks volumes. In comparison to the travelling Eastern Magi, these men would have known the scriptures like the back of their hands. They would have implemented the laws throughout Jerusalem, given counsel to governments and kings. Their whole identities were built on them being intelligent, respected, wealthy religious figures who carried both authority and power. They would have passed judgment, punishment, and in their day they would have been feared and admired simultaneously. Similar to the Magi, they would have given counsel, and they were smart. But instead of looking and using the sky to find answers, they would have looked to scriptures and religious law. So I want you to imagine for a second you in that position. Imagine being in their shoes. You've spent the majority, if not all, of your life from childhood, from the age of three, four, five, learning the laws and scriptures for when a group of outsiders come speaking of a prophecy which you all know so well and they tell you it's happening now. It's happening just down the road. What's the detail there? But what would your reaction be? What would your process be? How would you deal with that? Something you've been preparing your whole life for and an outsider comes in and tells you this is happening now. Their reaction was to stand still. Their reaction was an inaction. They did nothing. These magi gave up everything to make this journey and these religious leaders and priests comfortable in their lives, their positions, their wealth and acclaim did nothing. The magi had travelled 900 kilometres from Persia to Jerusalem and these priests wouldn't even travel the remaining 10 kilometres down the road to Bethlehem. To, to see what they knew was happening, the birth of a saviour. And I think Matthew, in telling this story in such a way, leaves us kind of pondering two things. Where am I on my journey to Christ? And then simply, who am I more like this morning? If you had to think about it. The magi or the priests? Am I happy in my comfort zone, where I have my identity, my life planned out? planned out the way I want it to be, with God in there, but maybe perhaps a little bit on the sidelines? Or am I willing to take on a challenge, the fear and the danger of letting God lead my journey? In speaking of this journey, 
I mentioned it already, that it was a dangerous journey. We don't get a lot of details in the verses. Again, we kind of skim over it in our kind of fluffy image of, of the nativity. But they, just, they just arrived. And that was kind of it. But if we look at it in a little bit of detail, we can understand so much more of the story and why. It's kind of obvious in a way when you really think about it, this journey wasn't straight, as, as straightforward as kind of hopping on the nearest road and, and heading west. Uh, this was a journey that would have been the complete opposite of that. This journey taken by these men was a dangerous journey with robbers, bandits, tribes and even animals to be wary of along the way. To travel 900 kilometers in the ancient world had absolutely no guarantees of safety and instead a huge and likely risk of danger and death. And it would have been a long trip. We kind of have that thing in our head of like, poof, they were there and it was done. But it would have been a long trip. It's estimated that it took them up to a year to make this journey, which again gives credit to that notion that they were not there at the birth, but instead they weren't there at the stable. They came to the house to see the child because it took a year to make this journey. But they did it. They did this thing, this challenging, demanding, and dangerous journey because God had spoke to them. God had revealed himself to them in a star, in the very thing they'd spent their whole life studying. God used that to call them to him. When we really break this story down, we see that here we have a group of men who had spent their lives searching the sky, searching for answers and wisdom in earthly things, but instead they encounter God and their response is immediate, to come and joyfully worship the Saviour. I want to encourage you this morning that if these men, these wise outsiders, these travellers, who were the opposite to the religious leaders and priests, can come from a distant land and can encounter God and be filled with a joy, then so can we. So can we. That is the beauty of this nativity story. That no matter how far you've wandered or turned away or how far you may even feel right now this morning away from God, if you're searching just as the wise men did, then God can meet you where you are and in that moment there is joy to be had. I'm going to ask the band to come up if that's okay. In a minute we're going to respond. We're going to respond and we're going to, there'll be communion up here. Please feel free to come during the worship. Take communion. But before we do that, I just want to finish on, uh, on that word joy. Um, not because this is a, a Christmas talk and everything has to be nice and fluffy. But because the joy we read about in these verses isn't the kind of the festive cheer and the joy that I get from a bowl of pigs and blankets. This joy here has so much more meaning, so much more depth. In verse 10 it says, when they saw the star they were filled with joy. Now there aren't many times I would use an ESV translation, but I do love how it's written here. Is that they write, when they saw the star they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. That's like joy times a hundred. That's a joy we don't know anything about. That's not the same joy I get from going to the range and looking at the Christmas aisle. It's not that, that joy. This is so much more. And this is a joy that can only come when we search, listen, and then participate in the action of following Jesus. So I want to say it again now as we prepare to worship. If you feel like an outsider this morning, if you've ever felt like you don't belong here, that you're not good enough, if you've ever been made to feel like the odd one out 
in a room full of religious leaders and priests. If you've ever felt like an imposter when you step into a church, then please, please listen to me when I say that just like all the other lies and the mistruths we've heard around this story, that too is the biggest lie. Because this nativity story and this whole book we read declares the complete opposite. It declares the complete opposite. You belong here this morning. Because you are the people. We are those people this story is for. God is for you. God is for us. And that exceedingly great joy comes with it. That's for us today as well. This whole story has a focus on the outsider. Twelve verses against five words for Jesus. That's what Matthew is saying this morning. That's how we should read this. That this is a story before Jesus was even born. We see that the outsider is being called to him. And we see it in the character development. We see it in the priests. We see it from these distant travellers from the east. That this, this morning, no matter where you are, this is for you. And that's what I want to encourage you with this morning. I want to leave us with that. We're going to pray in a minute. We're going to stand and pray. Actually, let's stand now if we can. Because as we bring it back to Advent, that is what it's all about. If you remember anything from this morning, apart from the amazing food that I'm 90% sure the kids made... <laughs> please remember that no matter what you feel like when you step into this place know that you're welcome let's pray Father God we thank you for this story we thank you for the author and we thank you, Lord, as we read, we can see that you were for everyone. We thank you, Lord, that you take us exactly where we are and as we are. And you pour joy onto us. So, Lord, we pray for anybody here this morning who feels distant from you. Anyone here this morning who feels like an imposter. Lord, we pray that you bless them. Pray that your spirit would fill them, Lord, that they would feel that joy, that love that you have for them. And as we leave here today, Lord, I pray that that would, that would go with us, that love for the outsider, that we would be able to share during this time of Advent, our love for the outsider. So Lord, be with us now and let us worship and rejoice the joy that you give.